Hi everyone, welcome to STEPS audio channel. We are very excited to share our content from STEPS events to learn all about the latest trends in startups, digital media, fintech, future tech, and wellness in emerging markets. You can find us on Enagami, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Make sure to subscribe to your favorite channel and we hope you enjoy the content. While, uh, while we're going to have a very nice and relaxing uh, chat, uh, the actual matter at hand is quite uh, sometimes unsettling, but the question is going to be about data. Uh, data, privacy, security, and all of those things that constantly keep us up at night uh, when, we, when we're running a business or when we're using any technology out there today. Um, so we'll explore the area broadly and I think also specifically in certain areas and hopefully uh, have some good outcomes for the audience as well, some takeaways uh, at the end. So please do uh, stay tuned and, and, and stay engaged with us. Um, I will kick things off. I think uh, it'd be worthwhile to lay the groundwork a bit. So... Uh, when we think about data security, about private data, public data, you know, even open data, uh, these definitions start to blur, I think, in the common consciousness. Uh, uh, perhaps, uh, perhaps you'd like to start us off with a, a broad, over, broad overview of what you see as the distinctions between these kinds of data and just kind of lay the groundwork for the audience a bit. Sure, Sam. Thanks. Um, so if you look at data... I, mean, I think keep the microphone a bit. Oh, yeah. If you look at data, the... The core thing that you would probably understand without having to explain it is your personal data. I mean, you, within the context of Kareem, you, you're going to have transactions that you have. Um, let's say you write your bookings and whatever transactions you have. Those are all private data. That's data for yourself, right? So that's quite easy to understand. And what does public data and open data probably more importantly mean? For me, the way I look at it is open data is data which is available or should or could be available out there that can be reused by the community in a more broader sense to derive value out of it. Um, so it could be anything like an initiative by the municipality or the government to expose data about, let's say, water consumption within a region across, in this case, UA. That's valuable information that you can use to bootstrap an idea of yours, which, uh, which could be something around management of waste or management about, uh, of your infrastructure or something like that, right? So open data has a lot of uh, value, even though it's not personal data, to the wider community because it can be used to do good to the community. So that's how I define private data and open data, at least in the context of the involvement we have been having. Mm -hmm. have anything to add in terms of kind of distinctions between public and private and where the line gets yeah. a bit blurry. Yeah, not sure if this, yeah, this is working. So thank you, Sam, for doing this. And thanks to everybody for being here. I think my perspective would be probably um, from, you know, like from, a, I guess, like an ethical hacker's perspective, like, you know, like what threat actors look like and what they look for, I guess, from their perspective. And I look at data in two ways. One is data that you could use and, and see, but like there is no way to exploit it. There's no way to use that data to kind of like cause harm. Mm -hmm. and I'm like, okay, like there are some basic things that you come across and you're like, you know, could this be exploited? Could it be used, you know, for phishing attacks? Could it be used for social engineering attacks and so on? And then there is data that is fundamentally secretive and internal and super, super sensitive that just there's no purpose or or need for it whatsoever to be public facing under any circumstances. And if you come across the latter part, I think this is when it's the most concerning. This is when you're like, I think it becomes very difficult to contain 
that I guess like the ramifications of such, you know, an exposure of data, because then you're trying to kind of like, you know, race uh, against the clock, against you know, threat actors who put already their hands on such sensitive data. Mm -hmm. And now the, you know, the, the means to try to go out there and contain that breach uh, becomes incredibly, incredibly difficult from a defense perspective. So I'd say like, that's, that's probably like one framework to kind of look at is like, you know, the, the think of it as like the crown jewels. The data points that you want to protect under, you know, very, very strict, I guess, you know, like controls and set of policies and even from internal, you know, what we call like insider threats, you know, like how can you also protect the organization so that if at some point in time you're, you know, like you're facing possibility of like insiders who want to kind of look at that data, um, that you also make sure that you have the right, you know, uh, procedures and policies in place to prevent that from happening if somebody on the inside was to kind of like, you know, uh, be interested to look at that, that kind of data. Right, right. And I think uh, in, in the public eye, these data breaches often, you know, really create shockwaves. I mean, just a few days ago, hearing about GoDaddy's long-term breach, which exposed, you know, I don't know how, how, what portion of their users, but definitely the private information, the account information of many users, and was kept hidden for many years as the, as you, as you call them, the, 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 the bad actors or, or the, let's say, the unethical hackers. Uh, sat on the data and decided what to do with it. So sometimes I think it's it's data that, like you say, I think I understand the distinction where it's like, well, clearly this should never be released to the to the public, credit card information, medical information. But then there's also this other kind of gray area. Perhaps I'm thinking back to, you know, um, a situation where Meta, at that time Facebook, was using the sentiment data and the emotional data that they were extracting from people's posts to actually change the newsfeed and to provide them a different experience. And that was a bit of experimentation, essentially, on, on their own users, um, but of course with long-term impact, potentially, on mental health. Is that something that, uh, that you think about uh, within your own companies? Is it, is, it, is it the impact that you have, potentially, even with innocuous data, well, the feeling of a post? You know, that's not really PII, but at the same time, it has an impact on the user. What do you yeah, think? Sure, Sam. I think... When, when you talk about data, the one thing people seem to forget or don't get the grasp of it is um, just because a data is not um, is anonymized doesn't mean you don't get value out of it um, internally and outside in a nefarious ways, right? So the ethics of using data for doing things um, is always uh, very, very well um it needs to be considered from different aspects of it. So um, at Kareem, we definitely do take the, the privacy of customers and captains very seriously. So there are lots of controls in place to make sure that when you have the private data of a customer that we you are our custodians of, you are that. You are the custodians of data. And you need to make sure that that's not used in a way which is against the wishes of the, the customer as well. But then there are products that needs to be built on that data as well. And there is always going to be this very interesting discussion on what can be used, what can not be used, and how it should be used as well. Because at the end of it, the way I look at it, when I look at products and product ideas is what happens if it's that my data which is being used there? And that's the lens that you should, when you're a security professional, look at it, right? If it is my data that is publicly exposed because of a breach, if it's my data which is used in a product for a specific reason, how would I think about it? And I think that's that filter that needs to be applied across the organization. It's not just Kareem or Spider Silk. It should be any organization which is building it. Be aware of that ethical concerns around use of data in general. Makes sense. Um, I might shift the topic a little bit slightly. Uh, so 
as I understand, Spider Silk is a cybersecurity um, company. Um, so, what are the primary things that you've seen over the years as you've as you've built up your company? What what are the threats, or, or how how have the threats evolved? Uh, I want to think about because you know th there's a very basic understanding of a leak, right, and a data breach. But then, is there something a bit more uh, insidious that we should be thinking about? What are the changes that you've seen over the years in terms of uh, the the perhaps the most prevalent threats, but also maybe the most impactful threats? And do companies seek you out to prevent any particular one over the other? Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, that's a great point. I think uh, being, uh, you know, at SpiderSelk, we, we've kind of had an advantage of working with different types of organizations throughout, you know, the last uh, three years and a half plus. Um, you know, like we've worked with like uh, federal entities, we've worked with, you know, like regional companies, you know, like global, uh, I think multinationals. And I think across the board, if there were like a couple of things that definitely stood out in all of these interactions, you know, like when we were kind of like talking to them or like when they're using our products, um, the number one, I think, challenge to them is that for any organization that is fundamentally digitally enabled, there is an inverse correlation, I guess, a relationship between the amount of code that is being written and deployed and the amount of uncertainty they would have around their posture overall. So at some point, they start with a website, and there's only some informational stuff. That's OK. Yeah. Then they build a mobile app, and now you have a, an entry point into your organization. And the mobile app builds you know, like, or gets new features every now and then. Now you have even more possible entry points within that mobile app, and so on and so on. And so over time, you look at a company, at a tech company that is you know, two, three years old, it becomes immensely difficult for them to understand what is happening with our posture. You know, like We look at things from the inside out, but like, what do we look like from the outside in? And I think that's where we, you know, I think we've seen a lot of room for improvement across the board. Again, you know, it applies to government entities as much as it applies to a small startup that is just literally started up, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think the means to try to combat that or to try to kind of defend an organization of that nature, um, I think I've seen this the shift from the traditional thinking around, you know, we'll do a couple of like security audits or a pen test. We'll maybe go through some checklist and you know try to kind of like apply some standards all the way to you know very aggressive continuous assessment of the company's posture, because what you're really again up against is, is the room for human error to take place at a point in time, and that kind of like you know, you know is is at the same point in time where threat actors are kind of like targeting that organization. That is where all disasters happen. You know, mm. when an employee of yours accidentally leaves stuff open on GitHub, you know, they literally leave passwords and, you know, like usernames for the company email accounts on some repository on GitHub. You're literally inviting strangers into your organization, you know, forget all the fancy stuff that, you know, your, your security team has been working on for so long. You've given the keys to your kingdom to some strangers out there on the internet. That, I think, is the biggest risk that we see across the board in terms of, again, these issues happening in a complete random fashion. And it becomes a matter of, you know, like, what could I do so that I have somewhat, some sort of a, a head start in detecting these issues and, and when they happen? Because if I've learned anything, I've kind of learned that it is inevitably going to happen at some mm -hmm. point where, you know, things are accidentally left exposed on the, on the open, open internet in a, in, a, in a shape or another. I think, I think that's an excellent point. So I think you're, you're highlighting that even within a company, you have kind of systemic uh, potential vulnerabilities. You know, so did you actually build secure technology? But then also there is this human element. Are the employees capable of keeping everything, you know, keeping all the switches going going the right way, right? You know, public, private, up, down, left, right. And I'm reminded of um, my time uh, at, a, at a global uh, news media organization where 
we were under constant attack and and trying people trying to break into the systems to publish their own news on their own on our platform and the biggest weak spot was never the technology. The biggest weak spot was did someone forget a password or or write it down somewhere or or like was it just a guessable password? You know, that kind of thing where it's like, well, no one did anything wrong necessarily, but perhaps we didn't practice the best sort of uh, techniques and perhaps we didn't train everybody the right way. What, what do you think about that? Quite true. Uh, but I think before I go to that area, we probably need to think about, I mean, this is a conference where social media is kind of the, the, the top of mind for a lot of people, right? So when you talk about pl public data, and I'll come back to a question on how it connects sort of well. When you talk about public data, you assume that, the, uh, I mean, by definition, public data is data which is out there. It's as simple as that. Right. Data that the public can get access to without doing anything much more than just surfing the web, right? So in the sense, what you're coming up with is a society where data about you as an individual is more out there. You put, uh, you, you take a picture and put, put it on Instagram, which has got, I don't know, your background, which shows where you are. Um, two days ago, you said something about, um, I don't know, flying somewhere. And maybe you had some more details about it. So now, they are all public data. And they are probably innocuous in its standalone pieces. I mean, the fact that you have a background in that picture does not say much. But then you take that pattern of all the things that you have exposed across board, it doesn't take a lot of people, a lot of brains to put that together and try and find out ways to attack you. Individually, if you are an interesting person, or collectively because of whatever other reasons, right? So as individuals, we are ourselves putting ourselves to a bit of a harm and forgetting about how that maps to companies itself, right? At the level of a company, um, the weakest link in any security system is the human in element to it, right? Everything else can be codified. Everything else can be automated to an extent. And of course, there will be code bugs. There'll be breakages in the process and everything. But at the end of it, if one day you wake up in the wrong side of the bed and you have a bad day and you forget to do X, Y, Z instead of X, Y, Z, Z, that's it. You have a problem with the system that you are supposed to be protecting. So human involvement and intervention is quite necessary to make sure that we build systems. But wherever possible, the mantra should be to automate. Wherever possible, the mantra should be to make things secure by design that you as an individual don't have a part to play in making that system insecure. Um, that's why we have password protection by uh, repeating uh, or renewing password every 90 days, 45 days, 30 days, whatever it is you have. It's, it's not that you, don't, you are not trusting that company colleague to uh, leak the, the password. It's the fact that at some point you would accidentally invariably do that. Right. And you want to reduce the risk of it. So the processes that you want to put in will protect and should protect you against from a human error in that sense. Sort of when the, uh, as we used to say, the error is between the keyboard and the chair, right? So, yeah. Exactly. So um, I, I take your point, And I think going back to as well, a quick follow up on what you said about kind of data that's already out there. So public data. And I think it's interesting to explore, like, what are the limits? So, of course, somebody posting a picture of themselves, that's one thing. But then there are certain things where, well, we just simply have to have some data public. One example that I think comes to mind is, uh, uh, so the movement of aircraft, okay? 
Um, I don't know if you heard this or if you know about this story, but um, there was someone who figured out which private jets belonged to Elon Musk and uh, set up a Twitter account detailing exactly where he was flying to at any given time. And the reason was perhaps altruistic. We need to expose you know, the use of carbon fuels by, by you know, billionaires. But, uh, you know, of course, Elon Musk took it quite personally and I think in the end banned that user from Twitter and so on and so forth. So is this kind of touching on the area where it's like something, you know, in the public interest? Of course, we'd want to know which airplanes are flying in which directions. It's just a matter of safety. But then again, in certain areas, it, it could potentially pose a threat to, as you say, you know, person of interest or something like that. So um, is, is that touching on some of the ideas that you were, you were addressing? Yes, yeah, definitely. I mean... Luckily for us, or luckily for me at least, I'm a private individual. I'm not a public individual. I, uh, people don't look at me and say, hey, I should be following this person or that person. <laughs> so that's good, good for me, right? But Elon Musk is a slightly different beast altogether. I mm. mean, um, people look at his actions and his movements for tips on a lot of different things, right? So he is a public individual at the end of it. Um, so when it comes to open data, um, data which is out there, or public data, which is actually data which is out there, going back to an example of um, planes, I mean, you go to any of the tracking system, the sky scanner or one of those things, right? You can build security into that open data as well. Mm -hmm. What they have done in a lot of cases is you don't get real-time data. Um, you get data which is at least 15 to 20 minutes delayed um, it's not because you can upgrade and then go get that real-time data, but that data itself is not available. But at the same time, reduce or closing that data, the question can be asked, so do we need to keep that data open? Like, is that a requirement? Why would you want to do it? Yeah. And I think it goes back to, of course, there is a business model behind why you want to build a product for doing that. But the question is, there is a lot of cases where open data is actually useful for the society as a whole, right? And just saying data should not be open cuts all that uses to nothing. And you don't derive the rich value you can get from that data. Mm -hmm. So I think there is going to be a case-by-case -case discussion on what kind of data needs to be out there and what should be open. But just saying data should not be open will also be not good for the community that we serve ourselves as an organization, as an individual as well. Excellent. Anything you might add on that point? Um, yeah, I, I have a bit of a, like a quick story just to kind of show you this in practice. Again, from a, like an attacker's perspective, what mm -hmm. this looks like and how it's, it's, uh, it's been exploited. And then I have, I have a question uh, actually just to Dr. Sir, sure. just in terms of like dealing with data and giving your users the understanding of, you know, uh, uh, what happens with their data. Uh, the quick story is that, you know, there was this uh, regional uh, food and beverages delivery app, right? Like they deliver, you know, the water, water bottles that, you know, uh, you, you use in your water dispenser. One could think, what could go wrong with this, right? Um, so we were working with them and, you know, we took a look at, uh, we took a look at their app and uh, in like in, in one of the functions in the app, there was like a leakage of all the email addresses basically the user data, right? Like there is an API call that happens somewhere in the mobile app and this API is leaking a ton of data about the users. Now, okay, it's another mobile app that is vulnerable to an issue of data leakage. But when you looked at the data that is being leaked, this is where it hit me, I think, you know, that, that this is not just a simple food and beverages app that is suffering a leakage, it's much bigger than that. Because you look at the, mo the email addresses and the domains of the email addresses of the users who registered, 
and you you could see all of these government you know like emails in the in the list of the users so somebody has signed up in that food and beverages delivery app with their official company or corporate email address right and what this has done is that you know if a threat actor has put their hands on this list of emails the most fruitful way for them to leverage this data is to look at you know nice targets basically right this is how they put it so they're like wow now i know that these guys work in that entity moi.gov something and in that same app i could see the address of where this guy lives and i have their mobile number imagine trying to tailor a phishing campaign for that specific person knowing that much about them right knowing where they live and the mobile app and like the you know the all the information about it, it becomes incredibly accurate mm -hmm. for threat actors to launch information having known who you are and what you do so a simple way to avoid this is maybe don't use your company emails when you register you know like on, on outsider apps like there's no need for you whatsoever to go on Amazon and say that, you know, like, here's my email address, which I use for a company, right? Use your personal email, because then at least, sure, the damage has already happened, but at least, like, you don't stand out as, like, a, you know, like a nice uh, um, uh, target, I guess. Exactly. Um, uh, the other question is, like, something I saw on the, on the Kareem app recently, in terms of, like, letting, again, telling the users what happens with their data, where I got this pop-up, you know, I was in Riyadh, uh, in Riyadh a couple of weeks ago, and I got this pop-up that tells us, you know, like as part of the regulations in Riyadh, like your data is basically being processed in the manner of so and so and so. And here's what you can expect in terms of like what we do with your data in terms of the regulations in this market. And I kind of figured that this is great, again, from a transparency perspective. Mm -hmm. Sure, I am entrusting Kareem with my data in terms of, you know, my geolocation, my email address and so on. But if there is a point in time, whatever, you have to kind of like process my data in a specific way, knowing that as a user gives me confidence because they're upfront about it. I don't have to learn about this from somewhere else. So I just wanted to also get to your perspective maybe as to, you know, like what, what the thinking, I guess, uh, looks like around bit, bits like that, giving visibility and transparency to users as to what happens with their data, essentially. Yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting question, Masab, and I think it's a very good observation about what does trust mean for companies, right, in this region, outside as well. So, um, I, I was working in a European company around the time GDPR rolled out, and it was fun times. Uh, fun times in terms of how do you make sure that this actually even lands properly, right? So as a concept, GDPR or any other data privacy or data protection laws is, is core to how you want to make sure that your citizens or your residents' data is um, kind of protected and it's used within the confines of what is allowed, right? So... A lot of times companies have to rely on regulations and data privacy laws, but a lot of times you can actually step up a bit more and say, look, I know that data protection allows me to do X, Y, and Z, and I can probably get away with A, but you should be transparent to the business customer. Mm -hmm. um, as a customer, you expect that from any of the businesses you're dealing with. And me, I mean, again, I'm putting a customer lens, but I also put in the CISO lens and I say, if I am doing certain things with the data for a customer, I should provide the transparency because that's the minimum that you can expect a company to do, right? Um, there are the things that's going to be challenged um, out in the public, within the, uh, within the colleagues that build those products as well. And as long as you can provide the transparency, there is something to be said about keeping the trust of the user. And uh, it's interesting because um, oftentimes I worked with a lot of CISOs who come and say, look, the one existential threat about any business is the security of the, the data that you hold, right? You can get away with a lot of PR nightmares when it comes to products not working, the reliability of the products, and so on and so forth. 
But if you have an existential event that can ruin your business, that's the losing the trust of the customer. And what better way to lose the trust of the customer than being opaque about how you use the data and then being in a data, uh, like somewhere that you do not use the data properly and it's breached and so on. Excellent. And I think, uh, I think this transitions really well to kind of uh, what, what I think we can, we can start talking about in terms of uh, perhaps some homework or some takeaways that we could look at uh, for, for folks in the audience. I know many of you might be from startups or from VCs or from, from companies that have an interest in, uh, in the idea of public and private data. And I think we've touched on a lot of issues where it comes to you know, the, the need to, to protect private data. I mean, that goes, kind of goes without saying. We, we, we kicked that off at the top. And I think we've mentioned a few measures, whether that's just you know, uh, password security or encryption, firewalls, you know, access controls, the things that we think about typically when it comes to, to uh, uh, security. Uh, but I think uh, what would be great is to hear a little bit perhaps about what you think is the right approach to data security that a company can put in place just perhaps at a high level, you mentioned a few things. I think uh, pen tests, uh, that penetration testing. I think, and uh, you know, uh, what are the kinds of assessments or like perhaps audits that you can run uh, that actually, you know, for for a certain amount of investment, give you a lot in return. Like, do you have a few examples that we, we might take away from this? Yeah, absolutely. I think again, uh, having been doing this for a while, like uh, obviously this is what comes on top of my mind is. Uh, Embedding, I guess, like a, a me, the means to continuously evaluate and reevaluate the posture of the organization as it keeps growing and changes. I think this is fundamental, and doing this in a way that does not, I guess, you know, um, kind of like come in, in in contact with the internal understanding of the team. Because you have to you have to remember that you know the builders of the technology and uh, those that are responsible of securing it will have their view of things, but it's incredibly important to put things to the actual test, like an unbiased, actual, you know, realistic test of resilience and try to see if what you think is the case initially on the inside holds true when looked at from the outside. Mm. I think that mindset is incredibly important because it's so realistic. And, you know, it's, it's funny, like how, you know, like we see the signs, right? Like we see in the news articles, like, you know, this company's exposed this database that didn't, didn't even have a password on it. And you wonder, like, you know, like, how is this even possible? Well, it is possible because, you know, those that were responsible of building that piece were proceeding with the assumption that it was secured. Only mm -hmm. for somebody one day to wake up one day and look at it from the outside, they saw that it wasn't secured and, you know, they went ahead and basically took a mm -hmm. download of the, of the entire data set. Mm -hmm. I think that's fundamental to any uh, organization today that is, again, growing technologically in a fast-paced manner. Again, you know, if you have a lot of engineers, you have a lot of product people who are building and evolving features, it is essential to embed that into your thinking and it just becomes something that you run, I guess, on a, on a continuous basis, regardless of whatever is happening on the inside and try to kind of like match your internal understanding of things with what is being seen from the outside perspective, mm -hmm. I would say. That, that I think would be like the biggest uh, opportunity I see nowadays. Again, across the board, you're talking about, you know, like all the way to, you know, from federal entities to, to you know, small startups that again, that are, that are start, starting uh, just like that. Is there a particular strategy that you would employ to like getting the right talent around this in terms of, or, or the right uh, external vendor? Like uh, if you're a government organization or if you're a small startup, is there like a range of options you have in terms of executing this? Because I mean, for a first time yeah. founder or someone who's non-technical, I mean, obviously this goes way over their heads sometimes. 
So, so two things. Being being a vendor myself, like it may sound a little bit, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. I think vendor lock-in is kind of tricky. Do not rely on somebody doing the work and you just standing and watching. I think this is incredibly risky for an organization. You have to build that awareness and that you know, like resilience and cyber security muscle from the inside organically and get everybody aligned on the importance of this. It is not something that only the CTO talks about. It okay. is something that the CEO has to fundamentally understand and be able to interpret you know, in their board meetings to their investors, to their teams, day in and day out. It's not just something that the technical guys take care of. Um, and I think, as, a, as, a, as a, obviously, another aspect that goes hand in hand with this is start also somewhere on the inside, as in, you know, find somebody in your team who could be like a good candidate to like kind of, you know, start owning that topic and start kind of like evangelizing the idea around, you know, like they may have interest already in like breaking things. Pick that person, although they may not come traditionally from a security background, they may be like somebody in your engineering team, product team. It is great to start growing that muscle on the inside from the early days, because you don't mm -hmm. want to be that company that, you know, keeps building and keeps building, keeps building only one day to wake up and decide that, wow, we've actually mm. not done anything at all in terms of our security and have a lot of catch-up to do. Mm. I think I think that would be like probably my, my take on these two points. Amazing. Dr. Nair, I, I just have perhaps one final question on this. Is, would you add more to, the, to what kind of approaches uh, companies and organizations should take uh, to kind of protect the private information? But then I would love also your perspective on what approaches should they take to make the best use, whatever best means, of the public data they have access to. Sure. So um, one of the core principles and mission of Kareem is to simplify and improve the lives of people. And while doing that, build an uh, organization that inspires, right? And if you look at one of the values that we have is responsible for our communities as well. Now, when you have an organization like that, um, that the, the data of the customer and the trust of the customer is going to be the core at everything you do, right? I mean, so at the end of it, if you want to build an organization which mirrors some of those values, you're going to have to keep sure, make sure that the data of your customer is the core uh, kind of thing that you protect. It's a crown jewel at the end of it. So you've got to put your effort and make sure that it's protected. But I can also understand because I've been part of a startup as well. That's probably not the first thing you're going to think about. You're going to look at product market fit. You're going to look at how am I going to survive tomorrow, right? But just think about what is it that you need to keep doing every time you gather more and more data, because at some critical point, you will have to think about it. At some, some critical point, your data is going to be touching regulated space. So those are the kind of warning lights that you want to keep in mind when you're building your own company and starting to look at customer data. Um, so that's the first thing. Now, your question around what are the kind of low-hanging fruits that you can kind of make sure that you can do to have a, a secure product or a secure service, right? At the end of it, nobody wants to do the bad thing. People want to do the right thing. I mean, that's my core belief, and I believe in humanity of doing that. So if, if you look at technology people or people who understand the code telling you, look, this is probably not the right way to do it, or that is the way to do certain things securely, take heed of it. Don't dismiss it. I know a lot of startup founders probably will think I can look at it tomorrow. And probably that is the case. But just be aware that you need to keep that in mind. And the people that you're hiring and doing, asking them to do the job is actually the right people who will, who will probably keep you, um, your, keep you honest about what you're building as well. Tools. You can buy left, right, and center. Um, it's interchangeable. But, but make sure that the people that you're hiring, people you're building your product with are honest, ethical, 
and can make sure that they treat the data in the the value that it needs or needs to be afforded. Honesty and ethics. I like that very much. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the episode. You can find our content on Angami, Spotify, and Apple Podcast. Follow us on social media at Step Conference and let's stay in touch.